After losing my daughter in the Sandy Hook School tragedy, I made it my mission to help protect every school and every student every day. Each week, here on The Sound Off, we'll explore the biggest issues affecting school communities from health, security, crisis prevention, and so much more. You'll hear from today's leading school safety experts to share their experiences, knowledge, and inspiration. Welcome to The Sound Off on School Safety with me, Michelle Gay, presented by Entrado. You know, as a leader, it's like, yeah, we're going to get through this. We're going to get our schools open. And, and the feeling was, if we got our schools open, that things would get back to normal. Well, they were far from normal. When August 17th came and went and we got the kids back in school, it, normal, normal hadn't come. Hello, everyone. Last month, the U.S. reached a record-breaking number of natural disasters year-to-date. This includes the ongoing drought and wildfires in the West, severe summer and winter weather, hurricanes, and tropical cyclones. Experiencing extreme or dangerous weather can not only be frightening, the aftermath can have a devastating effect on communities, businesses, and schools. So today, we're focusing on what schools can do to prepare for natural disasters and how communities can recover after crisis. In this episode, we're speaking with C.J. Huff, retired superintendent of the Joplin Schools. C.J. led the district through the most costly tornado recovery in U.S. history. He'll share his experience and what school communities can learn about moving forward after an unexpected disaster. Plus, extreme weather is still keeping students out of classrooms this year. And after that, one school district's first-of-its-kind climate initiative. Let's dive right in. Welcome, Dr. C.J. Huff. It is good to see you virtually once again. I know. It's great to, great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I appreciate, you know, we're, it seems like we're a lot of us doing these things from on the road. So I think, where are you, Arkansas today? I am in joining Arkansas. Us? I'm at the Department of Education in Little Rock right now. Well, I'm glad they could share you with us. Yes. Thank you. Well, good. So the uh, the subject of this week's podcast is recovery from disaster, and and specifically, how can we how can we better prepare our our school communities for the best possible outcome? You know, we can't control the weather. We can't control uh, a lot of these circumstances, unfortunately, these crises that happen in our communities. But what can we do to better prepare? And what sort of, you know, lessons learned um, can we share so that, as you and I say, that, you know, that hindsight can become somebody else's foresight? So, yeah, that's there's a lot, of, you know, packed into that into that yeah. question, Michelle. Um you know, I, I think I think that, and we talk about this. You know, every emergency management um, presentation that we ever we've ever heard. You know, the the power of relationships and how important relationships are. Uh, those pre need relationships um, uh, and and building those um, ahead of a ahead of a crisis is is so critically important. And 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 knowing how uh, you know, we, I talk about presentations that I do about how uh, you know knowing how knowing how all those um, um, people as you think about. You know, everybody has to be involved in a recovery effort. Um, you know, knowing how all those people, leaders and, and, and others, you know, you're going to be working closely with, how they take their coffee. You know, we talk about not exchanging those business cards at the emergency operations center, but taking a step even beyond that, more than just knowing who people are, knowing how they take the coffee, meaning you've sat down, had conversations with them, built relationships, meaningful relationships, and, and they know... Uh, they know how you think. They know your heart, and um, and you've got your you know sharing each other's cell phone numbers and and knowing 
that uh, when, when I call, if there's a crisis, that they know who they're talking to and they know where I'm coming from and they, they know a little bit about the person on the inside as well. So it's more than just exchange, exchanging business cards. It's a little deeper than that. So that's, that to me is um, number, number one. Uh, you know, it's relationships that carry the day and, you know, during the during the immediate response and um, and certainly on the recovery effort, those relationships are going to be critically important. Well, I'd like to to take folks back because, you know, when you and I present relationships come out a lot and particularly in your story and not all of our listeners um will know your story, you know? Um, so, so let's, let's take them back and talk a little bit about how those relationships were before the tragedy that your community suffered and, um, and, and how those really played out, you know, throughout the immediate response, the short term, and then, uh, finally the long-term recovery that's still going on. You know, when we talk about long-term recovery efforts and, and what that looks like and how we um, um, how you prepare for that and the importance of the re- you know the importance of those relationships. You know, I think back to uh, prior to May twenty second, two thousand eleven, and the things that we were doing in Joplin, um, and, and I even have to go bar- back further than that as a new superintendent of schools in two thousand eight. You come in and, and you know less than less than three years after after I stepped in the district, uh, we we're dealing with a you know a huge. Um, uh, nat- natural disaster in our community, and and I think the thing that that really, at least for me personally, you know, ma- made my job I'm not going to say easier because there was nothing easy about about the work of recovery, but certainly what made a you know made it possible was the fact that that I'd been you know engaged in cho- you know children and youth issues in our community for a number number of years there. And uh, bringing communities together around a bright futures framework and, and our efforts um, locally to improve graduation rates and just just building those uh, coalitions uh, inside the community was, was so important. Um, you know, not knowing that we were really kind of preparing ourselves for a disaster, but the fact that we were bringing community get, community members together from from many sectors, you know, law enforcement and and our faith community, human service agencies, the business community, parents, and in conjunction with the schools, and we were all sitting down having these conversations together. And we were problem-solving issues, and, and what we didn't realize was that you know, just months, probably months away from from you know those conversations, that uh, we were going to be problem-solving some some you know really challenging issues, not just for a few weeks, but for a number of years. And uh, it was so nice to be able to have those um, uh, relationships in place and again. That they knew my heart, I knew their heart, and then as we started going through that that process of problem-solving together, we just we just. Uh, you know, we just um, um, did did what we'd always done. You know, we'd always been kind of exercising those re- those resiliency muscles uh, for for a number, you know, for for several years actually. But in particular, those last twelve to eighteen months ahead of the disaster, and and just you know, just being able to sit down together and, and problem solve together, and know where the resources existed, and having the systems in place already to deal with um, the mass uh, mass number of volunteers who are coming into the community. How are we going to handle donations? Uh, you know, communication systems that were so important to make sure that we were getting resources um, quickly to the to the kids and the families and the staff uh, who needed those resources. And you know, it was it was just really a, a difference maker for us um, in in our in our recovery effort. Uh, so it was um, you know as hard as difficult as it was during that time. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like had we not had those systems in place. So let's let's talk for a minute about. Um, I mean, there's no shortage of of difficulties and difficult decisions to make in the wake of a tragedy. Um, but in, I think what a lot of people don't realize in a community is that, you know, 
while everyone is 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 heartbroken, devastated, in shock, there are uh, there are those behind the scenes that are having to also, in the midst of that pain and their own experiences. You know, you talk about your your survival experience, um, having to make really difficult decisions, um, and and really trying to to make the best possible decision under some some really unfortunate and um, you know not ideal circumstances. So will you will you take our listeners back to your own experiences a little bit and um and speak to that and then speak to, you know, what it was like to live that and then and then have to immediately step into that leadership and decision making, you know, role in the community. Yeah, you know, going from a survivor, I mean, I I got a chance to meet an e, it was probably an EF3 or 4 at the time, you know, when it was on the ground, but uh you know, meeting a tornado up close and personal like that was uh, was traumatizing in and of itself. You know, it was a near death experience, and and um, you know, it was kind of kind of amazing though. Um, you know, how quickly you know I had to. You know, it was almost like you had to flip a switch. It was like, okay, yeah. well, I know I just went through this, but it doesn't matter uh, because we we've got a bigger issue at hand here, which was you know the re, you know the, the identif- you know finding all of our kids and our staff and you know, the devastation and assessing facilities and see what we had to work with and, you know, dealing with everybody else's grief and, and uns- the uncertainty. I mean, when you're in a school leadership role and you've lost half your, half your district and you're just about to close out the school year and you're three months away from opening up the next school year and people, you know, you've just hired people. I mean, that's hiring season too. And people that were worried that they weren't now going to have jobs, uh, you know, parents worrying about whether schools are going to open up again. Um, you know, where they're, you know, not just where they're going to get their next meal, but, but where were they going to live? And, and, um, and so, you know, you just start hearing all these things and, and all these issues and, and you know, they're, they're coming at you hundred miles an hour and, and people are asking, you know, they're looking at you for guidance and they're saying, you know, what, what are we going to do now? What, what, what are we going to do? And, and, you know, are we ever going to have, I mean, that was a question. Are we ever going to be able to open our schools again? Are we, are we done? And, um, you know, that that was, uh, you know, if I were to ever write a book, which I don't know that I'll ever have time, but, you know, I've, I've said that if I were to ever write one, I think I would title it No Time to Grieve because you, you just don't, um, you just don't have that opportunity. And, um, and, and, and that's, that's not healthy. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm living proof of that. I mean, I can talk and, you, you know, you and I have talked many times about our, our each other's personal journeys and, and what that was like. And it's tough. It's tough. You know, I remember one time I was at an emergency management conference and you know, I get emotional sometimes and, you know, especially a number of years ago when I was still, you know, I was still struggling. Um, and, um, you know, I remember somebody came up to me afterwards and said that they were so appreciative of the fact that I was willing to, to be emotional in front of that crowd because they had people um, that they'd worked with in the past that said, you know, if you're, if you're in the emergency management business, you, sh- you know, you, 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 you know, if you're emotional, you can't, you know, you can't do this work. You just, you know, you just, you know, you should have no business doing it. If you, if you have, you know, if you're, if you show emotion and then I'm like, you know, I, I don't know how you, how you do this work and not show emotion. I mean, it's, um, you know, you, with that, I mean, I think comes empathy and, and, um, you know, and, and, and for me, I mean, I think the grieving really started probably five years uh, after the fact before I even had a chance to take a breath and, and, and start that grieving process for myself, which is, a, you know, as we all know, psychologically, that's a healthy thing to do. And uh, but it was five years before I even had the opportunity to do that. So, you know, I, I think I think from a leadership standpoint, though, it's um, you know just flipping that switch and having to go directly from survivor survivor mode into leadership mode into long term recovery mode, and uh, and not really having a clear um, indication because you know these are hopefully once in a lifetime experiences and never have to experience that again. But 
Um, you just don't, you don't realize at the time because there's so much energy that's put in on the front end of it. And everybody's thinking, you know, we're going to get this thing knocked out in two, two months. We're going to get everything cleaned up. You know, you get go through that phase where everybody feels, uh, you know, running on adrenaline. And then, then the next mm-hmm. thing you know, it's like, oh my gosh, where's that, where's this finish line? Is this ever going to end? And, uh, you know, it gets frustrating. And I, and I think that there's a lot of parallels. And I think you would agree with this, Michelle, you know, between what, what you and I have both experienced and what um, and what we're seeing as a nation now, I mean, I think the, the nation now, you know, 18, almost two years uh, into this pandemic, um, you know, I think I think a lot of what we're seeing in terms of kind of the back back and forth and the bannering that's going on and the divisiveness has a lot to do with the fact that people are just tired. Uh, it's been it's been a long haul and, and people are just tired. And uh, and you have and you have uh, people on both ends of the spectrum that are done with the pandemic, just like we were in, in the tornado. We had we had a, a group that were like, you know, we're, we're done with it. We don't want to ever talk about that damn tornado ever again. I mean, that was mm-hmm. you know, we don't we're done with it. And then there was the other part of the community that were like, you know, they 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 can't they couldn't they weren't ready to to they weren't done grieving yet. And, and we still have people that are that way. And 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 you know, the reality of it is, and I think this is one of the lessons I learned is is that. That you know, when you have all that emotion um, in your community, and and um, and you try to try to approach it from a logical standpoint, that it doesn't work. I mean, emotion and logic collide. Emotion wins every time, and um, and so I think I think that was a lesson learned that that, that uh, for me personally. And then the other piece of that is is that the people that were ready to move on, and the people that were still you know still stuck in the moment of May twenty second, two thousand eleven. Nobody was wrong. They were both, they were all right. You know, it was where they need, they were individually, that's where they were at. And, and, you know, I think it's hard sometimes for, for people in leadership roles to, to understand that, um, that people, you know, they heal differently at different, different ways, at different paces. And you have to respect and have empathy for all of them because they're just, you know, that's just a different process for everybody. Truly. And I think, I think that's, you know, that's one of the things you and I, you and I talk a lot about, um, when it is a community-wide tragedy, like or like it or not, it's a shared tragedy. And and also, if it's as as you know, big in scale as what you experienced in Joplin and we experienced in Sandy Hook, it's it's shared beyond the borders of your community. You know, the nation grieves as well. The nation is rocked to its core as well. And so you have all of these different. Um, different experiences of the tragedy and like you said it's not that anyone is is right they are all on on this journey but there are just lots of different byways and back roads and you know all all different ways to to attempt to move forward and sometimes for individuals in our community it's about just standing still you know for a little while and and processing and we all i think owe it to ourselves to to take those moments and and stand still and and do the grieving but as as you shared it's hard sometimes to find the time and space for that um let's talk a little bit about what it has been like to try to find the time and space for that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we talk about self-care and the importance of self-care and, and, uh, you know, I really believe that as we, as we look at how, uh, we do, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this journey of recovery that, that we're, you know, that we're all on after, after a major crisis that, you know, from a leadership standpoint, we, you know, we, we have to take care of ourselves when we're, when we're going through a major, major disaster. And that's a hard thing to comprehend because when you, you know, as we go, you know, in that, you're in that leadership mode and you put on the Superman cape and you're, you're trying to be everything to everybody. And, and, um, 
um, you know, being that being that encourager, you're being the cheerleader as well as the decision maker, as well as the you know the the counselor. I mean, all those things that that people expect and need you to do. I, I can't tell you how many people I had in my office in the in the weeks after the disaster. They're just breaking down in tears, and and you you know you want to be that rock for them, and um, you know it's it's. Um, it, 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 you know, it, it's important. And I think this is, this is where I failed miserably. I mean, I'm, I'm very open about this, you know, that whole self-care piece, I, you know, I wasn't taking care of my family the way, way I should have. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't getting enough sleep. Uh, the nutrition was an issue. Uh, you know, all, all those, you know, taking care of the family, all those things that, um, we need to be doing to, um, to take care of ourselves, you know, that we should be doing on a day-to-day basis, even, even if, even, you know, I would, honestly, I was actually, I was in the best physical shape I'd been in a long time, uh, whenever, um, whenever the disaster hit and, um, um, and, uh, I had, I had next, ex- I didn't exercise again for 10 years. I mean, it's just, you know, you just, you just get out of all those things, um, you know, self-care wise because of, of that tremendous responsibility you feel to be just out in front and work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, putting your best foot forward, trying to be in, in your mind, being a good role model for leadership. And the reality of it was is that that for me personally, I, I was being a horrible role model in the sense that because I had hired such really good people, you know, people that were compassionate and cared about kids and they're hard workers and they saw me working the way I was, that that you know, as we all know, when you hire good people, they they mimic the behaviors of the of the leaders that they follow, and and uh, and they just all ramped it up too. And so they, we were all working ourselves into the ground, and you know, sending text messages at two o'clock in the morning, and answering emails at three o'clock in the morning, and setting up meetings and calendar invites and to do lists and all those things, and and um, you know, it's not sustainable. It, it's just not. And and part of it is to, you know too. I think you go back to to you know that marathon, not a sprint analogy that often gets thrown out there on in terms of recovery. And you start out at a sprint pace, but you don't know any different. I mean, if you've never been through this, you think, okay, if I just work really hard, this is all going to end soon. And uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, and it, we'll it get doesn't. There, you know, right? it just we'll get it just there, doesn't work yeah. that way. And I think even with this pandemic, I mean. You know, you could have 100 percent of people vaccinated and not, never have another case again. But the recovery effort is going to go on for, for several years yet. Uh, you know, the, the damage to the economy, the damage to families, the, the loss of, of loved ones, the grieving process is the mental and behavioral health side of the, econ- the economic side of it. I think, you know, that this is this is not going to end anytime soon. And, um, you know, I think that that we have to pace ourselves and, and uh, encourage leaders to, to be, you know, being good role models for self-care. And uh, giving permission by giving yourself permission to, to take care of yourself, you're in essence giving permission to everybody else around you to take care of themselves too. And we have to be good, good role models for that. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about leadership and, and leader care and, and all of that. And I think some folks might think, well, no, that's not for me. You know, I'm <clears throat> I'm just a stay at home parent or um, I don't have a leadership role in the community. I'm, I'm a classroom teacher or a school counselor or a custodian. Um, but the reality is that all these folks are leaders, you know, whether you're leading your family or leading a, a group of 21st graders or, uh, you know, a, a, a team of, of your colleagues, um, we we are all leaders um, in, in some way. You're, you, people are looking to one another and grasping on to one another, you know, in the immediate aftermath of these experiences and then, and then for the long haul as well. And I think, you know, if there's maybe anything to to take away from from your experience my experience and what we're experiencing as a nation right now um through this pandemic is that we we need to pay attention to 
the process of recovery. You know, I think a lot of a lot of the work that we do in the field of school safety and emergency preparedness and all of that, it's incredibly important. But the full cycle, you know, spans all of the prevention and goes all the way through into recovery. And recovery, I would say, is the phase of of you know crisis management that we probably spend the least amount of time on, yet we spend the most amount of time in. So, you know, what are some of the key takeaways that you would share um, based on your experiences and and also just travels around the country? You know, you have served a variety of different communities, not just your own in Joplin, but, you know, you have taken these lessons and this work uh, to lots of different places around the country. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about some of the commonalities and, and the key key takeaways that you would bring to this topic of uh, disaster recovery for communities? You know, that, that's a really great point. And, and you know, the thing I, I've seen in every every disaster, I mean, they follow the same kind of pattern. And you're, you're right. I mean, we spend as a country, you know, time and effort and money in that preparedness piece. And um, and uh, very, very little of, of the effort is really focused on on the recovery. And I think I think there's a shift um, that we're that we're starting to see uh, with with uh, with uh, the federal government, uh, FEMA, and and other agencies that are really understanding more that, that this long term recovery effort is really where we need to be sp- spending some more more of our time and preparing communities for that, uh, because that's where communities fall apart is is that recovery piece. We saw it. I think the first time we saw it was after Katrina. Uh, you know, where there was a lot of lessons learned from Katrina that that, uh, and, and I think we saw saw what could be, you know, what can happen in Joplin when you do it well. And even though we did it, I think we did our recovery very well. It didn't come without a cost. I mean, there was a lot of lessons learned there too. That uh, you know, the do overs. If we had had the chance to do it, do it again, that we'd do it differently. But uh, I think the the primary thing is that that understanding that. From a leadership standpoint, that the, the that when you think about and you know again it goes back to relationships and, and emotion. Um, when you're when you're dealing with a highly volatile, highly emotional community that's dealing with a with a disaster, and, and this is true for either man-made or natural natural disasters, either one, that you have to that you have to match your your leadership um, um, your your leadership. Um, um, style, I guess, or leadership actions with the, um, with, with where your, with where your community is at at the time. And so, you know, that you, you go through that phase of heroism. We saw that, we saw that in, um, in, in with, with the current pandemic, you still see it. I mean, our, our first responders, our healthcare heroes and, and all those that have, have been engaged in, in recovery from that, you know, the response, immediate response and recovery. So you have this, you know, real, real, uh, you know, high emotion, sense of pride, you know, everybody coming together, pulling together. I've seen it in every disaster, you know, Joplin strong, more Oklahoma strong, um, uh, Texas strong, um, um, you know, Puerto Rico strong. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's common. I mean, we, we come together around, around crisis and we support one another, but once, um, the, um, um, the, um, um, you know, initial adrenaline wears off and you realize that you're in, um, uh, long-term recovery mode, there, you you start going the other direction. Like, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to be taking a while, and so you know, this going to this is going to be a long, long. This is going to take a lot, a lot of work over a long period of time, and I, I'm I'm already tired. And you know, when, when's this ever going to end? And 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 then I think it's a natural, natural tendency. Uh, and you know, it's important to remember in a leadership role, it's a natural. I think it's a natural tendency of the human human psyche to to um, to uh, want to point fingers. You know, I'm I'm miserable. There must be a reason for that. 
you know, I'm not happy. Things, things are not going well. It's not going like it's supposed to be. And all these promises that were made, you know, I think, you know, back to, to the pandemic, the beginning, I remember about, um, you know, April or May, you know, that we had the president, he was saying, I'm not being critical. It's just, he said, uh, you know, a few, few more months, you know, a few more months, two or three months, we'll, we'll behind, this will be behind us um, by the end of the summer. And, uh, you know, you, you hear that, you know, you've heard it with, with this president. And, and I'm not, again, being critical because I did the same thing, you know, as a leader. It's like, you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to get our schools open. And, and the feeling was if we got our schools open, that things would get back to normal. Well, they were far from normal. When August 17th came and went and we got the kids back in school, it, norm, normal hadn't come. And, you know, it's interesting because that's where we are now, I would say, in terms of, of opening schools, getting kids back in nationwide. And I think a lot of people, like I hear it from a lot of our folks across the country, thought, whew, if we could just, if we could just get there, right? If we could just get to where all of our kids are back in school, then it'll be okay. We'll, like you said, we'll be returning to normal. Um, you know, we'll be back on that, on the, on the right track. But um, most of our folks are, are actually reporting great disappointment and frustration and, um, and, and exhaustion at levels that they didn't report before. And all of that compounded, it, it tends to make folks turn inward, right? And that's where we called it, um, you know, in, in my family, we called it the love bubble. You know, right after the tragedy, we were just surrounded by the most loving, caring neighbors, friends, community members, family. I mean, it was just this, it was literally a love bubble. And then, and then one day it pops, right? And it's, it's not pretty. It's it's hard, and um, and I think as we talk about what to expect and what to prepare for, it really is important that people understand. You know, wherever you are, whatever your crisis, um, wherever you are in the journey, there is a pretty standard sort of cycle. Um, and you and I talk a lot about that. And and SAMHSA has done a, a beautiful job of creating a, a graphic. Um, but it really does kind of illustrate the the ups and downs of the journey. You know, there's not that date on the calendar where it's like, we're there, we're done, you know, we made it. Yeah, you're, you're right. And I think that, you know, we, we, you know, it, you can't, you, I don't think you can stop the cycle. You know, I think, I think it's, again, a natural part of a way, uh, you know, individuals and communities heal. It is a process. Yeah. But understanding the cycle and helping everybody in your community understand that, that what we're experiencing is normal. Um, and that at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like you said, that, that, uh, that bubble of love that's around you, you know, you want to, you, you know, that you don't want the bubble to burst. You want, but you want people to understand that, that uh, we need to continue to love on each other and support one another through this and know that this is, these are hard times and we will get through this, but we got we got to do it together and we got to keep our heads. Um, and, and, and that goes, you know, when I think about my role as a school superintendent and my school board, you know, that, that was tough. It was, it was hard on my, my school board. You know, I, when I was first hired in Joplin in 2000, 2008, and then when the tornado hit in 2011, I had the same seven school board members that I had when I was hired. And, uh, you know, after, after, um, the tornado, we, we, it, you know, the, and I could tell stories all day long, but we, we had, uh, I want to say 12 or 15 different school board members over the course of the next three or four years that, that cycled on and off the school board. And, and, and it was, that was hard, you know, it's hard on a community when you have that kind of leadership turnover and, and people were just tired. I mean, I had school board members who just couldn't do, couldn't do it anymore. Uh, had, had community leaders that just couldn't do it anymore. And, and then you had, you know, just, just a lot of, a lot of turmoil and, you know, the politics of all that, you know, which is never fun. And, and, um, 
Uh, so it, it, it does take a take a toll. But I think I think that if, if communities fully understand the cycle and, 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 you know, I think that's something that had had I ever had that opportunity, if somebody would just sat down with me and, and maybe my school board put that chart in front of me and said, this is what you guys this is what you guys are going to go through over the next uh, um, uh, four years. You need to understand that, that, that uh, you know, that, that several of you may not be here four years from now in terms of, you know, you may get voted off the school board, superintendent may lose his job, uh, you know, those, those things that, that not to take it personal, it, it, it is what it is. But, but knowing that maybe, maybe, you know, the, the way we communicated, the way, the way we handled uh, certain situations that were somewhat sensitive, um, uh, the way we we conducted ourselves publicly, the way that we talked to one another, the way that we listened, the way we engaged with the community, I, I just can't help but feel that that you know had had we had that kind of training and understanding of that cycle that none of us had ever experienced before, that um, we may have um, may have come out on the other side in better shape than than we did, and I, and I think we came out. I have no regrets. I mean, I you know I'm really proud of what we did for our kids in Joplin, but. But yeah, if you know if I had the opportunity to do some things differently, I certainly would have. Um, you know, just 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 how just how I would have handled myself. But I just wasn't. I just didn't have the heads. You know, I was doing the best I could. I you know, that's all I can say. I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. Uh, but uh, you know, there, you know, with every every um, tragedy, there's lessons learned, and that was something we certainly learned. And, and I've seen it seen it happen in community after community again. I've seen it happen. Um, you know, even with this COVID crisis and just some really good people that are just really struggling right now as a direct result of, of uh, being at it now for almost two years. It's, it's just hard. Yeah. And it seems like we, we learn these lessons over and over and over again. So it's important that we continue to have this conversation and remind folks that at the end of the day, we are still all human and um, we will be making mistakes. We'll, we will all be doing the best that we can. We will be we will be failing at times um, and, and we will have to pick back up and and figure this out. And as much grace and compassion and kindness as, as we can have for each other, you know, that that really does have a positive uh, impact on this recovery journey. It doesn't make it easy. Right. Um, somebody came to our community, CJ, with that chart. I saw it early on and I looked at it and I was like, I'm, I'm so not there. I like, I can't, I can't even remember to like drink enough water during the day. Um, so I, you know, it, it just, it takes a lot, a lot of talking about this, a lot of supporting one another and just being real and honest with each other, um, well, on the journey. Funny you say that, you know, get, putting that chart in front of me during the course of the, you know, the response, I mean, that would have been pointless, but it, it's good. I think, you know, it's too, it's not, it's too bad that we can't get this in front of, uh, you know, all those courses that we took in our doctoral program or, or master's level program that that uh, that it wasn't a piece of that. So, the, so that well, there was at least we, we there was a conversation that had been had about it at some point in time prior to, you know, prior to having to go through that. So then I'm like, oh, you know, I think I remember, you know, this some stuff, something about this and you know, go back to the old notebook and pull it out or Google it or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, as a teacher, right, we call that prior knowledge. So it would have been yeah. great if we could have tapped into that and said, oh, yeah, this is this is that thing exactly that I learned, yeah. Yeah. and, and yeah. it's it's a reality. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, CJ, I can't tell you what a pleasure it has been to to have you here on the podcast and and share this perspective. Um, that's that's something that uh, that that's the, those are the riches we have, right, to share with one another, and and hope that that we can support 
each other on our, our own individual and, and community-wide journeys. Um, it, it is, as you said at the start of this conversation, all about relationships. And those relationships lend themselves to building those resiliency muscles. You know, they are that, that muscle or those muscles are shared in a lot of ways. Um, and so making sure that we've we've connected all parts of the body and, and we are working together um, to move forward, you know, maybe differently, but ideally moving forward, moving in the same direction. Thank you so much, CJ, oh, for joining you. us. I appreciate it. You know, I, I always say that uh, my healing began when I met uh, met you at Safe and Sound, and, and uh, we started building this uh, network of, of people out there who have had shared shared experiences. So, you know, I think I think this uh, pandemic, we, we all have these uh, this now shared, shared um, disaster response and recovery experience. And as we flex and exercise these collective muscles now, hopefully we'll all be stronger for it. When it comes to school safety, our friends at Entrato School Messenger have school communities covered. They deliver advanced school safety solutions that lead to safer environments for our children. With over 40 years in public safety and more than 20 years in schools, Entrato School Messenger is uniquely positioned to serve your school safety needs. Entrato Safety Suite combines the most advanced emergency response management, on-campus notification, and parent communication tools together to create a 360-degree wall of protection against all kinds of school safety threats. To learn more, visit entrado.com slash safety suite for education, or check our show notes for the link. Now it's time for a segment we call The Sound Off, where we weigh in on some trending school safety stories, and today we're focusing on natural disasters. When Hurricane Ida made landfall in late August, over 300,000 students were forced out of their classrooms. And months later, some areas hit hard by the storm are still struggling to recover. Louisiana school districts have reported issues with restoring power and running water, obtaining proper staffing, experiencing overcrowding in shared facilities, and other challenges amid the pandemic. Grand Isle School in the small barrier island town of Grand Isle may not reopen for in-person learning until after the holidays. While public school leaders in New Orleans reported minimal to moderate damage, thanks to the investment into infrastructure after Hurricane Katrina, places like Grand Isle have become symbols of challenges that some regions continue to face long after an extreme weather event or natural disaster. This is part of the story that I think a lot of us don't hear. You know, we hear on the nightly news when the storm is coming or um, when, you know, when there is an impending uh, crisis looming. We hear about the immediate aftermath. We we see the heartbreaking photos, the destruction, uh, but we often don't hear about the hard work and the struggles of communities in, in the long-term aftermath and what it really takes to physically recover the community and as well recover the community emotionally. You know, what types of services in terms of rebuilding are required? Uh, what types of services are required for mental health support and, and counseling that our schools, our communities, our kids are in most need of? So double that whole process with another tragedy on top of a tragedy for communities like 
this, this community in Grand Isle where there are natural disasters that that happen. We know this uh, and we, we prepare for this. But then something like the pandemic on top of that is, is another whole layer of complexity for the community. So I guess at the end of the day, the important thing for us to remember is to continue talking about it, to continue sharing the story, the challenges, because we cannot help one another if we are unaware. When forecasters recently predicted that a nor'easter would bring flash flooding and powerful winds, New Jersey districts either closed schools or stayed open to brave the storm. But schools did not opt for remote learning. That's because of a state law passed last year ruling that remote learning only qualifies for emergency school closures lasting longer than three consecutive days. This means that moving courses to virtual learning for the day would not count toward one of the 100 required school days for the year. Now, some educators and other advocates say the law should be updated to accommodate emergency weather situations, heat issues, and other short-term emergencies. You know, we learned a lot each time we experience a tragedy, uh, a an emergency, a, a crisis in our schools and communities. And we certainly learned and have learned a lot from this pandemic experience. Some of the things that a lot of our school communities put in place, um, you know, really trying to apply those lessons learned, uh, we're finding don't necessarily apply to the all hazards approach. When we talk about all hazards and planning and preparation for safety through all phases of crisis, before, during, and after, it's really important that we are looking as, as generally as we can. Of course, we have specific plans for different types of crises, but looking as, as generally as we can to the types of policies that we are putting in place to make sure that the things we're learning and, and improving upon don't end up being um, you know, detrimental to another process, uh, like recovering from this type of weather or natural disaster in a community. Because we know um, that these types of weather-related disasters, uh, they can put they can put our schools out of business for a day, two days, three days, um, but those days are valuable to our schools. And we need to make sure that we are allowing for enough flexibility in the plans and procedures that we put in place to ensure that everybody is safe and sound through all types of crises. Now let's end with a look on the bright side. Santa Barbara, California is particularly vulnerable to wildfires, earthquakes, and other natural disasters that lead to power outages. In January of 2018, a series of devastating mud flows hit Santa Barbara County. After the disaster, the Santa Barbara Unified School District set a plan in motion to harness solar energy. By 2022, 14 of the district's schools will have solar carports and six will have solar microgrids. These installations will help keep the lights on and power a community hub in case of an emergency, allowing schools to keep feeding students who depend on breakfast and lunch. The game-changing initiative will save the district money while creating resilient infrastructure for the local community. The architects of the deal believe the plan could easily translate to other states with similar needs. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Sound Off and join us again next week. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Intrado School Messenger, for supporting us at the Sound Off, and thank you all for joining us and listening today. Until next time, stay safe, everybody. Stay safe and sound.